it's imperative that as an ecosystem, blockchain, Web3 ecosystem, we're all growing together. I would love to see more bridges with BNB Chain and other blockchains as an example, so that you have a much more seamless tech base. And then more importantly, when crypto mass adoption really takes off, again, the underlying tech people will not need to know what's the underlying tech. For us, I think that's important if we can be part of the core infrastructure supporting this new wave, this new Web3 paradigm, I think that would be amazing for us. If we have more and more use cases and more dApps and more Web2 organizations building on BAB chain, that would be really amazing. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the powers of business technology and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong and we all agree that it is a time to build for Web3 and crypto. With me, an old friend who have co-founded and sold a company to tech in Asia, Gwendolyn Regina, Investment Director at BNB Chain in Binance. Gwen, welcome to the show and it's finally great to have you in a full episode to talk about the most exciting trends in crypto and Web3 and your exciting adventure to invest in this space as well. Thank you, Bernard. I'm so excited. Thank you everyone for having me. And classic because somehow there's a part of your career journey was actually intertwined with myself and then obviously you're now much more bigger shot than I do so I'm no, going to start what the hell Bernard no not at all come on <laughs> yeah so I'm going to start off with the first question how do you start a career Ooh, how do I start my career that's a very big question Bernard I would say that I started my career, always doing things that I love, always following my curiosity. I know that's quite abstract and meta and philosophical, but I've always been interested in technology since I was young, been very fascinated and dived into physics as an example. I taught myself a little bit of coding when I was young, when I was 12. So I've always been interested in the ability to use technology to really change things change the way we live, work, play, change society. So there wasn't one kind of clear start, I would say, to my career. If we want a bit more, I guess, precision or detail, I started really in, in college and in university, actually just before getting my feet went entrepreneurship, but in college kind of working with a, a bunch of mentors, including yourself, Bernard, when I was a student, and just really getting exposed to people, much older people and experienced people who have been there, done that, seen a lot more. And then as we, as you yourself said, our careers or our lives intertwined. So we started SG entrepreneurs back then. And I would say if there's one start, one origin point, that might be it, right? As a culmination of my various personal interests already in tech, physics, businesses, entrepreneurship, that really culminated in the start of SGE, which then led on to, to where I am today. And then we sold that business to tech in Asia. I think you were also with a few corporate roles before your current role with Binance. You want to talk about that journey as you step into, I think you were running Asia Pacific for Measurable and also working with Facebook as well, right? Yeah, so I've really been very lucky to have had the journey that I had. The acquisition of SGE by Tech in Asia was followed by yeah, me bringing Mashable, which at that point in time, and still now, I think one of the leading media publications, especially for millennials talking about social media and tech, I brought Mashable to Asia Pacific, where I helped launch the business here in the region, Southeast Asia, and then China as well, which is a very interesting journey. Did that for two plus years. 
And after that, I took a sabbatical, fun employment. I did a few interesting things. I did some TV hosting. I did some podcast hosting. I tried to do actually back in 2017, a blockchain startup. So I was really trying to already build something in the space. And I went to Paris as well, where I worked with a deep tech investment fund, where I worked with PhDs to build their businesses. So everything from like AI to materials engineering to quantum computing, actually. So there's a whole range of PhDs I work with and ideas and startups. And then at Facebook Now Matter, I launched and built the a new kind of VC program and startup accelerator in Southeast Asia. And then I joined BNB Chain to lead investments here. I think you also would like to mention that you were working with Entrepreneur First, which is now a pretty well-known entrepreneur incubator on deep tech. And I think that was part of it. But I think given that you have worked a very diverse linear background and non-linear background, how did you eventually settle in terms of thinking about the crypto industry? Because I think you alluded to the fact that you have actually done a blockchain startup earlier. So you must have dived a lot more deeper into the blockchain industry. Yeah, I mean, I would like to think I'm OG, but I think I'm really not. Even though I first saw Bitcoin in 2010 when SG was still there, and I was so busy running SG. And at a point in time, we had Timers Capital as well, Bernard. So I was just too busy, even though I saw the life changing potential of Bitcoin. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. So when I first saw Bitcoin in 2010, I at that point in time, I downloaded a piece of software and I could mine on my laptop. But what I didn't really do was that I was just periodically opening that software, the piece of software. So it wasn't mining the entire day. That's number one. And number two, because I was so busy, I didn't have enough mind space to, to look at that in a much deeper way. And also, I'm not technical enough to contribute to the industry uh, back then and even back in 2017. So when I saw Bitcoin, my mind was blown, like literally blown, because for me, it's wow, this is how money should be transferred. Right. So back then on a Sunday, 10 p.m., if you want to transfer money to your friend, you still need it. You couldn't. Right. You need to go to the bank and stuff like that. I mean, this is only what, 12 years ago. So much has changed now. And it also reminded me of when I was much younger, I participated in the NASA SETI at home program with a piece of software. You could use your idle computing power, screensaver time to help humanity search for ET, which again, my physics background, always looking what is out there kind of thought. That was the first time, quote unquote, I worked with strangers without knowing who they were. So for me, Bitcoin was like the next evolution in that journey. So you fast forward seven years later where I didn't watch really Bitcoin really closely. So that back in 2017, again, as with the bull run, as with many people as well, I came back into the space, I guess, and looked at a few projects, dived in a few of them. One thing that really captured me was like, hey, we need identity. So I was trying to do a decentralized identity project back then. And my point of view is that, especially back then, you needed to be much more technical to contribute and give value to the industry. So things didn't work out. And so when it comes to my current role, when I was looking to dive back into the blockchain industry, like full time, because for me, it's like, it's now or never. I really feel I'm too late. And Binance is the largest centralized crypto exchange. And BNB Chain is, if you look at daily active wallet addresses, BNB Chain is the largest blockchain out there. 
with on a daily basis about 1 million daily wallet addresses. So it was very interesting to me because the way I look at blockchain and Web3 is that yes, Web3 is, if in my opinion, a step change in technology and really a paradigm shift into new use cases and business models. And again, how things can, how we live, work and play. But also then what's important to me is that while I'm philosophically very, uh, I'm in love with decentralization and blockchain as a whole, I also don't think that the world will be entirely decentralized. So I do think that the world will be partly centralized, partly decentralized and partly CDFI. That's what we call it. So where I am, it's, I love it. It was very attractive to me because I could see kind of all parts of it and I would love to contribute to the growth of the industry from that perspective. Mm. So just a quick one then, what is your current role and coverage in as the investment director at the BNB chain within Binance? Yeah, so just to be clear as well, BNB chain is ultimately in the decentralized world, right? So the no one owns BNB chain, right? It's owned by the community. So I think that's important, but I'm part of the core team. So a lot of the sponsorship money in a sense comes from Binance. And again, Binance was the one that kicked off BNB chain to offer the Web3 community choice in terms of public permissionless blockchain to develop on. And we can talk about the growth of chains and multi-chain world shortly if we want to. So my role is, yes, I'm investment director here. And what I really focus on is looking at the industry, looking and talking to new entrepreneurs, builders, steps. And on a day-to-day basis, I talk to many of them. I try to understand kind of what they're doing, where the innovation is, how are they planning to grow? What's their go-to-market strategy? Because ultimately here at BNB Chain, we always say that we want to grow crypto to 1 billion users. So now the whole industry estimates range from roughly say 300,000 people in crypto. And that's still really far away from crypto mass adoption. And we do think, I do think that crypto mass adoption will come faster than we think. So I do think in the next two to three years, we can probably get to 1 billion. So I will say it on record. (laughs) I think we can get to 1 billion in maybe three years. I may be wrong. I may be too early, too late. I don't know. We will see. This means talking to native Web3 builders, but also talking to some Web2 companies who are thinking of coming to Web3. Because right now, when you look at the last few years, we've seen the development of DeFi really taking hold over the last two to two and a half years. We saw the DeFi summer and financial restructuring is the core of blockchain and Web3. But what was next, as we all know, was the whole NFT mania. NFT for the first time was like reported a mass traditional media everywhere. Then we saw gaming as well with XE Infinities. We're seeing a lot more interest now from the masses, from the non-Web3 world. And so what my role here is also to kind of look at that Web2 space, talk to people in Web2 space, and to, yeah, understand what they're thinking of. And sometimes I also brainstorm, a lot of times I actually also brainstorm with my Web2 friends or just potential Web2 partners where, you know, we discuss what the potential use cases that they could think about and also on a BNB chain and also Binance side, how can we connect them to other projects, other partners to really accelerate their growth and help with the transition into Web3. Because sometimes it... It's not so obvious, right? It's not a simple slapping on of a token and it means you're Web3. No, because the whole point of Web3 is that it is literally a different financial infrastructure underpinning everything. So you sometimes have to really rethink your product, 
you may actually a lot of times have to build a completely new product with much more community distribution as an example, community growth. And then thinking about, again, the business model side of things, you no longer want centralized legal entity accruing value and fiat for yourselves and then partly to redistribute back to your users or shareholders. But now Web3, you have to think about you're almost like your immediately public quote-unquote company from day one. And how can you think about the growth of the community and having them also participate in your growth? So yeah, so it's not so easy to come into the Web3 web space for certain Web2 companies. And I spent some time working with them as well. So one example is Opera, right? Opera, as we know, is one of the largest browsers out there, 350 million users. And they have a crypto wallet. And we worked with them to integrate BNB chain. We worked with them to introduce them to different games and dApps to make the transition even smoother. Wow. So you actually also breached the Web2 world into the Web3 space, which I think will make this conversation much more interesting. But I'm going to have one more question. I would, I, if not, I wouldn't do justice because now I'm the student here and I'm going to learn from you. In your career journey, what are the interesting lessons that you can share with my audience? Ooh, interesting lessons. I don't know how unique they will be, Bernard, my interesting lessons. Ooh, interesting lessons. I would say that what I've learned over my own career is that in you know, the entrepreneurship space, builder space, you just see so many different kinds of people. But one thing when I made the full-time transition to Web3 is that good builders and good entrepreneurs have the same characteristics. It's a lot about having a good vision. But a good vision, you can only have a good vision when you really deeply understand the space. And then you are able to either reformulate the problem statement or the solution statement in a very unique way with your personal background. So the thing I always say is that human behavior doesn't change and I'll apply in two ways here. So one way is that again, good builders, good entrepreneurs are largely the same. The second thing I'll kind of talk about it is that when I say human behavior does not change is that because ultimately we are humans, we have just pure biology. But what changes our incentives? Accelerate certain behavior and decelerate certain behavior. So let's take the web tool world with social media, right? Uh, there's been much more public liking. You want people to like your posts and stuff like that. So the incentive is driven much more about identity now, where you want to seem to be liked by the public. So that then accelerates more of that. Let's post more pictures. Let's post Let's post more, more beautifully or whatever it is. So that accelerates a kind of, I don't know, identity slash wanting to be liked behavior. Whether you agree or disagree, whether you like the behavior or not. And then in the Web3 space, sure, you have in any new technology you always have people who come into the space just to make money, which is just a mere fact of the history of tech evolution and innovation. You definitely need capital to come in to help fuel the expansion of the space. So I know I'm mixing a few topics here, Bernard, but going back to the human behavior component is that with Web3 right now, sure, this few years, you've seen a lot of like people wanting to stake, you know, yield farming, yada, yada, to try to, you know, make a lot of percentage returns, which we've now seen is a little bit more unsustainable. So incentivize a lot of people to just come in and pump and dump, so to speak. But we will see more community-driven projects. We will see more, more equal distribution and redistribution back off to the community. So take music, for example. In the traditional space of all the streaming and music sales and stuff like that, something like only 10 to 12, 12% of revenues goes back to the creator, to the musician, which is wow. The platforms are taking a lot, large part of revenue. 
And maybe in a traditional world, it may make sense because the platforms do give the musicians and artists that distribution channel to listeners. But now when we think of the Web3 world, Music5 can really turn that around where you can, as a musician, you can get more revenue for yourself, number one, but also then for your fans who have accompanied you from day one, they can share in more of your journey and success as well. So one example that we talk about is a project that's native on BNB chain called uh, Corrite. So Corrite allows musicians to quote-unquote crowdsource um, their next albums with their fans. So one of the projects or the artists that he worked with is world-famous DJ Alan Walker. So Alan Walker and Corrite did a fan campaign where Alan, like something like 3,000 over Alan fans contributed to the campaign and, and they kind of built the, his new album together. So, you know, we're seeing like projects like, like Corrite and a few others like Rocky and Mellows and stuff like that, where these projects are thinking about the music space where, hey, the economics of the traditional music industry are not the best for everyone. How can you rethink that and use Web3 natively to do that better? Mm. So the way I understand how you're thinking is that you synthesize the perception of what human nature and then basically by bringing aligning the right incentives, you can actually rethink the entire way of how business is done across different paradigms. I see that as more of one of the key lessons you're trying to yeah, so human behavior for me is that really we don't change. We may evolve over time. And again, incentives drive different kinds of behavior. So when looking at lessons, how I think about new use cases of business models in the Web3 world is that a person should think about what kind of things does a human, that do you as a human to do in your daily lives or whatever that you think is not yet available in the Web3 world? That's one. Number two is that if you look at the Web3 world from first principles with fresh eyes, don't limit yourself to thinking about from the Web2 world. But when you think natively about the Web3 world, what new stuff that's enabled here, which it's almost like there is no box right now. Don't overthink through the Web2 lens. Think just natively. And this will allow you to kind of redefine, again, maybe looking at the problem problems on the markets in a different way or the solution statements. And to return to your to your, the other part of your question, which is that lessons learned from my career is that I also learned, I will, I will try to bring it a more, bit more personal part because I think that's important as well, which is that ultimately integrity really matters. And linking that to the Web3 world, integrity stays. If you work with someone with integrity, that person most likely will continue to have integrity. So I think that's very, very important. I like to work only with people with integrity. And of course, how do you determine that? It's a lot of it's pattern recognition. Sometimes you may be wrong. Sometimes you might be right. But ultimately, I think that that matters a lot. Because when we look at bringing back kind of few topics in the Web3 space, we've seen scammers, we've seen, again, as any industry, you're scammers. But when you see this space, because of the potentially large, financially changing potential of Web3, of blockchain, in all the crypto space, you do see that, again, some, sometimes negative behavior kind of em emphasized. And but ultimately, people have said that, yeah, this world right now is very cowboy, which I agree. I try not to be misled, so to speak, by the, the behavior. They're like, oh, this behavior is very normal, quote unquote, in Web3. Should I excuse that? I No, I don't think so. I would like to still keep my bar of people with whom I work with like really high.
So keeping the moral compass on is pretty important. Yes, to yes. So to get to the main subject of the day, I think to help my audience, I think many of us know that Binance is probably the top cryptocurrency exchange globally. I just want to get a sense of, can you give me an overview and role of the BNB chain and its relation with Binance? I know it's the amalgamation of the Binance chain and the Binance Smart Chain in the past, but what is it today and where is it like? Back in September 2020 was when BNB chain first launched in mainnet. So it was kicked off by, by Binance, sponsored by Binance, so to speak, because back then you really only had Ethereum. And Ethereum is OG, I love Ethereum. But at the same time, also from a scalability perspective, it wasn't that scalable and also expensive in terms of gas fees. So when BNB Chain first came about, again, two years ago right now, it's it was meant for to offer developers choice. You can now choose from like two different blockchains to kind of build on and different types of technical ability. I mean, same, but also there's differences. And so fast forward to today, two years later, BNB Chain is much more owned by the community right now. So we always use the term progressive decentralization. So yes, it was kicked off by Binance, but Binance now is just a community member at, at, in BNB Chain. So BNB Chain, now we have 21 validators. We have announced a plan to go to 41, for example, and also introducing much more inactive validators called candidates. So it's much more community-owned and much more lively in terms with different kinds of people being involved in a community. But here, as part of the BNB chain core team, when we work with projects, we do a few things. One is that we look at it first with the eye from the BNB chain ecosystem. Like, who should you work with in BNB chain? If you're doing XYZ, we think that maybe you can work with this other project. We will ask whether you would like to make an you would like to be introduced. We make an introduction, for example. But at the same time, we also think about it like, as to my point earlier, right? I don't think the world would be entirely fully decentralized or fully centralized. So if there are the products within the Binance ecosystem, think Trust Wallet, think Binance Pay, think Binance Connect, right? Different types of products. So Binance Pay is the ability to to pay someone with just a QR code. As an example, and Binance Connect is basically fiat on ramp. So if there are ways in which we think it makes sense for you, then we also made an introduction. So ultimately, the way I see my role is kind of like a, I don't know, yeah, growth accelerator, a matchmaker sometimes, and really like a bridge, ultimately a bridge. So bridging a few things, bridging amongst the Web3 ecosystem. But again, as you as we talked about earlier, bridging also Web2 to Web3. So I think in the original post from Binance about introducing the BNB chain, you have the concept of MetaFi. What does it mean in the context of the BNB chain? I know you talk about music as one of the coverage application areas. What are the key application areas that the BNB chain cover? For example, is it DeFi, GameFi, or any of the new applications that's coming in Web3? Yeah, yeah, Bernard. And also I realized I forgot to answer your question about technical. <laughs> okay, answer. maybe you can answer that first, right? I know we're jumping a little bit. So on the tech side, let me just address that kind of semi-briefly. So yeah, several months ago, so at the beginning of 2022, we announced that we will be doing even more tech tech development and progress for 2022. So we announced BNB Chain, which as you mentioned, is a combination of the BNB Beacon Chain and formerly called Binance Smart Chain to be now called BNB Smart Chain. And we also announced side chains. So really this like a multi-chain network at this point. And so when we take the, the 
side chains as an example is to allow projects to have their own side chains with their own gas token or you can use BNB as well. But basically it's compatible with the BNB chain as a whole with the BNB smart chain. So ultimately, you know, we believe that this is very important because for BNB chain with Okay, we've got 1 million daily active uh, wallet addresses. Our all-time high was 2.27 million daily users as, as well as 16 million transactions on that particular day. So it was very high, but our performance, we didn't go down. So two years of mainnet, we've never gone down. We have slowed doing the all-time highs, but we never went down. So I think that's important to note. But what we realized back then was that like we slow, but that's not good enough for the future. If we really truly want crypto mass adoption, you need your tech to be even more robust. We are robust, but we want it to be even more robust with a very, very high bar on our side. So that's the purpose of side chains as well. So going back then, Bernard, to your question about MetaFi. So MetaFi is something that, a term that we use because we believe that it's really like the next wave. So again, we look at DeFi, NFTs, look at metaverses, one thing that is most important in Web3 is the, the transfer of metadata. So the meta, the meta and MetaFi means metadata, really. You can see it as an amalgamation of the different trends, but we see it, again, as the core, is the transfer of value there of the data, metadata. So when we look at that from that perspective, it, it encompasses, like what we said, DeFi, NFTs, GameFi, Metaverses, but also SocialFi and DAOs. So it can seem like, you know, combining a lot of topics into one, but of course, we're a bit more nuanced than that. We have released some blog posts in, as to how we look at MusicFi, how we're thinking about DAOs. So DAOs is an example. It's something that we really believe strongly in. It's, it's an industry or it's a category that is quite lacking, I'll be very honest, quite lacking in many uh, like DAO infrastructure and DAO tooling and DAOs as well on BNB chain. But I think it's the future because it's how you organize amongst strangers, how you organize amongst potential, like friends as well, how you enable people to, to work together to build new things across the seas. And while I think this is very nascent, I think there's a lot of potential. So DAO tooling is something that we're looking heavily into as well. So I think you mentioned two key features on the BNB chain. One is resiliency. The other one is the ability to be able to scale for a very large amount of transactions, which I think this is where most blockchains are trying to build towards. What are the other key features of the uh, BNB chain and what does it mean for developers to build on the BNB chain? I think key features is that BNB chain is EVM compatible. I think that's important because ultimately EVM is the largest uh, base at this point. So we have many bridges as well where, you know, allows people, users, steps to kind of make sure that all the EVM chains can be connected. You can transfer value here and there, NFTs as well, NFT bridging and other assets bridging. I think that's important to note. We're part of the EVM ecosystem, so to speak. I think second part to note is that for us, our transaction fees are very low. I mean, relatively. So depends anywhere from US dollars, if you convert it, about say 30 cents, right? Of course, it depends on the market and time as well. But yeah, it's, it's relatively low. And next is that, again, with our multi-chain, with the BNB chain multi-chain system right now, we are committed to, again, onboarding, different kinds of use cases and different kinds of projects. I'll explain a little bit more. So of the 2.27 million all-time high of daily users, about half, like about 1 million was one game. 
One game. So on BAB Chain, about 40% of our users play games. But again, gaming is a use case that requires extremely fast, basically high TPS, right? You really need it to, the transactions to be fast, everything to be seamless in that sense. So for gaming use cases, it's more imperative, more important to have dedicated blockchains. So for us, that's why the sidechains are there, right? Where we want to make sure that such use cases can really fly more easily. I think second also is that when we talk to some traditional companies or Web2 companies, you know, there is much more interest in building sidechains as well because they already have large user bases as an example. So that might be interesting to, to work on. So from a developer perspective, why we think developers should consider and come into the BNB chain ecosystem is not just the robustness of our tech. Again, haven't gone down in two years. And we are, again, always working. Our tech team's always working to make sure that it's, it's even more robust and resilient. But also the fact that we have a strong ecosystem of 1,400 dApps and counting. And that's very important because, again, in Web3 world, it's not just tech that's important, but it's also community building. It is about a community. It's about not just your own community of users, but also the community of other dApps. Because again, in Web3, the key thing is composability. The fact that you have much more primitives and Lego blocks to build on top of each other and stuff like that, that you can create new products from two other things and people might, your community would bleed with each other and overlap and stuff like that. So when we think about that, the fact that our ecosystem is already very strong, there's much more BD and partnership opportunities for ADAPT when it comes into the ecosystem. Because we, if you want to partner with a certain kind of project, we probably already have that as well. If not, we can introduce you and also brainstorm with you as to what can we do to help you more. Since we are on the conversation of multi-chain, are we moving towards a multi-chain world where you can see different specializations? And I think you talk about gaming as a potential a space where sidechains can actually be focusing on certain specific applications or are we maybe moving towards a world where maybe only a few key blockchains will lead the way like a bnb or even i mean ethereum does yeah so i think my point of view is yes it's a multi-chain world because why because different use cases require different capabilities you take the blockchain trilemma correct and also you think about how BNB chain started. We use the term progressive decentralization and we really believe in that. But one of the quote unquote compromises I think we've been lobbied at, kind of ac accused of is that we're a bit too centralized. And you know, I wouldn't say that entirely wrong or entirely, but it's always about figuring out, okay, how can we best serve users? And we always say about the trilemmas and, and no one chain can be perfect in all, correct? So for us, we serve users and developers really well. Different use cases will have different needs of the trilemma. Would gaming users really need security? Maybe not. Some games maybe because NFTs can be very expensive as well, obviously, in games. So that is a choice for developers, for the gamers and game designers rather. And for certain more, I don't know, serious use cases, like definitely more financially driven, anything maybe to do with real world assets, like real estate and stuff like that might require, again, a different set of parameters that will make more sense for them. So... I think we're still in the fa fairly early stages of discovering what each use case might prioritize more. And for us, we were doing our best to make sure that we can serve a variety of use cases. And I think we have already, but we really want to make sure that our tech improves more and that offers, again, developers and users more choice. 
So I understand that uh, BNB Chain has actually dedicated one billion to grow the ecosystem. I guess what I'm more curious is like where are these capital deployed to in terms of helping growing the ecosystem? Is it like for example you have a most valuable builder incubation program and how startups, a nascent web three startup, decide to come to you and say, hey, we want to work on the BNB Chain and this is our pitch. And how do you think about working with them? So we've divided the 1 billion into several categories. And one is talent development. That means working with developer education platforms, working in universities, working in hackathons, sponsoring hackathons as well, to really t- talent development, for talent development, where we do a lot of masterclasses, education, where we bring in people to be hands-on in terms of helping developers figure out some things, working in universities, colleges to bl- do blockchain research as an example. Another kind of category, a bucket in which we invest our resources in is incubation, as you mentioned. So you mentioned most valuable builder. Ultimately, that's just BNB chain incubation. And so what this means is that we we put out a call and we select the top few projects. So this time for season five, we selected almost 30 projects for incubation. And this means that these 30 projects get much more hands-on help from the BNB chain community. You're talking about project leaders, community leaders, as well as like the leadership from various projects, leadership from also for Binance, from BNB chain core team as well, as an example. We make sure that we are helping these 27, again, almost 30 projects be much more integrated into the BNB chain ecosystem. Um, another bucket of where the resources go is also to incentive to do gas fee incentives and gas fee rebates. So when a project grows and does really well, we want to help you defray some of the costs as well. We do some aspects of that, gas fee rebates. And kind of last bucket is really investments. So part of BNB chain incubation as well as that some of them will be selected for investments, but we also do a more, more direct investments. Yeah, we have another bucket of capital to also distribute from that perspective. Mm. So what's your current investment thesis in evaluating Web3 startups that come to you and building on the BNB chain? Yeah, so for categories, it's interesting because we talked about earlier, we talked about MusicFi, we talked some about DAOs and stuff like that. We really like these categories. We like SocialFi in general as a category. So we are at this point looking for more MusicFi projects, social media-like things, basic things that kind of really think about how social, being social in Web3 is. So we talked earlier about human behavior not changing, right? Humans are social animals be in person or online and the different kind of sociability some people are quiet in real life in physical life and then yet they're very vocal online <laughs> and vice versa so in a web free world we think that social fi needs to be redefined even more when we look at web 2 giants a lot of the accusations against web 2 giants is that they own all our data as an individual we as a user we are paying for that free product by allowing the use of our data, so to speak. In Web3, this can be, not saying that this can be fixed, but this can be mitigated with different use cases and different, again, business models and tokenomics. I think that's important. So we're looking for more socialify projects because, again, people will be social anywhere. We want innovative socialify projects that not just innovative from a tech and product perspective again because ultimately it's always about community adoption so your product has to be good in you know ui ux offer your users a good experience 
how you go to market, how you acquire users, how you acquire a retention rate, I think it's very important. So Socialify is another category that we're looking at. And I mentioned earlier, again, DAO tooling, because I think DAOs is here to evolve, not stay. Because as you look at it right now, one, one funny thought for the space is that there's more DAO tooling than DAOs. I mean, there are many DAOs, but some of them not active and stuff like that. But I really believe in the power of organization. And again, how you disaggregate organization and aggregate at the same time. I think there's a lot of innovation we've done there. And for us, DeFi, for example, for sure is here to stay. But the key thing is then, can we do more DeFi 2.0, advanced DeFi, DeFi 2.0? And is there a DeFi 3.0 for the next wave? Yes, but I may not know what is it. Because when you look at DeFi 1.0, DeFi 2.0, they're solving kind of slightly different problems, right? Second, DeFi 2.0 is a bit more efficiency of capital. So DeFi 3.0, what really solve? I don't know. At this point, I'm looking at more like real world assets. How do you think about that traditional world into the DeFi space? So these are some categories that we're looking at. But again, when you ask about thesis, these are kind of, a category-driven thesis, so to speak. I want to emphasize what, what I mentioned earlier about good builders and entrepreneurs is that ultimately it's always about working with the best entrepreneurs and builders. Mm. I have an interesting question. So one disagreement I have as a Web3 angel investor with other investors is you can't slap a Web2 world into a Web3 because there is this whole concept of centralization and decentralization. And even the incentives to bootstrap is very different. But I agree with you. There is this, I think in Balaji's book, The Network State, he talks about centralization, decentralization, and then recentralization, right? I guess I want to hear your thoughts. What are your thoughts in thinking about when you try to bridge? What is the mental model to bridge the Web 2 world into Web 3? Because given that you are also thinking along in this space as well. Yeah, so I talked a little bit about that earlier. But I can go a little bit deeper. So I love that you say mental model. I think that's very important. I think the challenge with a lot of Web2 builders and entrepreneurs is that precisely, right, what they have is a legal entity somewhere, be it in, in the US, in, in Singapore, in Switzerland. And you are when you do your business model, you are accruing fiat, right? You are getting revenues through fiat. So you are accruing all that fiat revenue into a legal entity. And then you have, I don't know, as a founder, maybe you're 51% or something like that. I don't know. So it's a very different space. As you mentioned, it's a centralized model. So the mental model of shifting to the Web3 world, where now it's, again, you almost go public from day one because you have to redistribute your, quote unquote, your shareholdings differently, right? You no longer think about you and your founding team after Series A, you still need to hold at least 60%, 60% as an example, as a guide that we always tell founders because you don't want to be overly diluted and lose control of your company, right? After like at Series B, you don't want to own like 20% only. That's terrible. So it's a very different way of thinking about it because now in the Web3 world, you almost don't own your project from day one and you don't. You are maybe the core team, but you're building something for the community. And so the mental model shift is very different because the centralization means that you have ownership, your responsibility, but also agency. You have less ownership, but you have still have a lot of responsibility and agency because you're core team. But now the agency changes from you unilaterally deciding what to do with your product, be it change the button from square to round or change a new product or literally launch a new product. But in Web3, you want to get your community involved in the decision-making process. You put a proposal, people vote. So then there's another question of, wait, how much really should this be quote-unquote democratic? Should you allow every single token holder or when you amass a certain amount of tokens to actually have a vote? 
Well, there are, you know, there are certain debates. For me, I think there's a lot of nuance there because you are the holders of the vision of the product, right? As a core team of your Web3 product and project. So you know best the space, best the problem statement you're trying to solve for, best the solution space that you're building in. And people from the outside, it's very easy to vote yes or no for certain proposals. And it's very easy to, in a sense, share on the sidelines when you're not the one running the marathon. So I think there's a balance we made between having your community to vote, which I think is absolutely important because again, this is what Web3 is about. But at the same time, having some agency still to make sure that certain core protocol development essentially is still kind of quote-unquote retained by the core team right so there's a lot of nuance there i'm not saying you should choose one or the other but i think it should be a split if you allow your community to decide every single thing i'm not sure this is going to be a good product you need to build for a core vision in my opinion true in that sense then how does it help you to take the same mental model that you were just talking about and then look at funding companies or projects because now you have equities you have tokens or you can even have a mix of both would the way governance matters in also you have seen some recent examples of governance being challenged by very simple proposals that's put on the table how would you bridge that gap because now it's very community driven but yet you still need the core team's vision to drive that project through yeah, that's a great question, Bernard. So I'll address the first part first, which is about the fiat and token side of things. So we've seen many projects do, when they raise funds, do a few things. One is that they raise entirely in tokens. Two, they raise in equity and tokens. If they raise pure equity, it's because they are, say, a blockchain analytics firm. So it's a centralized uh, company providing, like, say, a SaaS for access to the analytics. So we see different kinds. What it's important in that is that when a project comes to us with that different fundraising models, it's important to always to answer that question, where is value accruing to? Because ultimately, when you build a token, entirely token economy, means the value is in that Web3 space. Your token economy accrues value for everyone in the token economy. If you have a fiat component, then my question to you is that, Wait, so are you accruing value both in tokens and fiat, for example? And sometimes, actually a lot of times, I've seen some projects kind of hard to answer, actually. Because at this point, this is where you talked about mental model. I think there's still a mental model of the centralization, fiat component, mixing and transitioning to the Web3 component. The other thing, why companies are still raising equity is because we're linking to VCs. Because a lot of VCs right now are still deploying their funds from funds raised from LPs from a few years ago, which hasn't included token investing as a mandate. So a lot of them, their hands are tight. They can't invest directly in tokens. They can only invest in equity. So a lot of the equity raises right now is also geared towards fulfilling kind of the perspective. So I do think over the next few years, that might change even more as more LPs are more comfortable with investing just to- pure tokens, which means then VCs can invest in just pure tokens, which means that we'll see less of a mix of, hey, we're doing both equity and token raise. How the token of value accrual is, I can't answer you and stuff like that. So I think we'll see less messiness later as you go along. But at the same time, some people are also saying, hey, we raise equity first, but it's like for, you also get free pro rata, free token drops later on. So I think it makes sense for now, uh, how this will evolve. I think this will evolve. I don't know how exactly it evolve, but I do think we will get more and more into a pure token economy later on. If you project from today and you look downwards, how will you think the Web3 landscape is going to play out? I think in terms of business models, we've seen innovations like play to earn or apps to earn models. 
And then you have very new way of bootstrapping customer acquisition, such as memes, airdrops. I think a lot of people underestimate the, even the blockchain you develop on is a form of customer acquisition as well. Are you going to see a lot more shift in these mechanisms or are you going to see that there's going to be some new in the horizon that's going to make it different as well? Yeah, I like that question. Future sensing. So... I think that the space will continue to evolve. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball and well, I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. And so my mental model of thinking about the evolution of space is that a lot of these ways of accruing value, of attracting users, by and large, may, or may not change. But I think what will be added onto is much more cross-community pollination. I think that's going to be important because when you think about the core again of Web3, is composability. The fact that you can potentially work with another project, let's say a DeFi project, NFT project, they have very separate expertise and they work together to either enhance each other's projects with a bridge or whatever it is, that creates almost like a whole new sub-product of both. So then the communities will cross-pollinate. You know, maybe at some point, they may use a common token rather than each of their own tokens. Maybe they all use a BNB token, for example, as their cross or something, or BUSD, right? Stablecoin as an example. So I think we'll see more cross-pollination of users, which means that it's even more important to, to make sure the community is strong. Because one thing right now in the Web2 world is that we talk about silos. As a user, you can't transfer your data out of Facebook easily, right? You cannot transfer your friend graph, your social graph on Facebook to a new social network. One of the good things about Web3 is that you own your own data. There's port more portability, again, on metadata of data. I don't think we're seeing this right quite yet, but I think over the next few years, we'll, I would like to see, or I think we will see more ability to move from project to project with all your data already fully formed, all your social graph already fully formed. How that second project will be able to really gain traction and really retain the users, I think it's a different matter altogether. But I do think we'll see more ability to jump around because it's enabled by Web3. And then thus, different quote-unquote social fire projects might then result. Then the challenge then is that, again, it's retention because if people can jump easily, why would someone stay in your network? So I think that's another question to solve. But going back then to your question, Bernard, about other like evolution and use cases, you talk about play to earn and X to earn, so to speak, right? Yeah, so I refer back again to my point about human behavior does not change. I would like to see more listen to earn, read to earn. I don't know, we've seen some study to earn. I don't know. I think we'll see more everyday user behavior kind of incentivized. Will all human behavior be incentivized by tokens? I don't know. Will there be a project brush to earn, brush your teeth every day to earn for kids? I don't know. Would it be interesting? Maybe. Might it be a bit weird? Maybe. Maybe I find it weird, but maybe it works somehow. I think we'll see more, yeah, again, everyday user behavior, having some sort of value driven to the user and incentives. But then the other question actually I would like to offer is also is that in my personal opinion, I don't think every single piece of user behavior should be incentive-driven. The ability for one human being, this is a bit philosophical, but I kind of like the ability for every human being to be driven by yourself. <laughs> so to a certain extent, then I feel like as humans, you're going to get even, it's going to be maybe even harder to decide what you like and don't like. If let's say I have a choice of, for example, listen to earn, and doing something, let's say painting, maybe there's no paint to earn. Maybe I'm just doing analog painting. Then no one's going to pay me for painting on a piece of canvas, token accrual. So then, but if I listen to a piece of music, I can get a money. If I like painting more, might I be incentivized to listen to earn? Maybe. So I think from an individual perspective, 
I want people to be wary of the choices you make. So this is partly out of Web3, Bernard, out of investing. I'm just curious about and driven by the answer of human behavior as an individual choice. I will hope that people are aware of the incentives that are driving their own behavior, but also being aware of whether you want to make that choice or not. That's a very good point. So the question is also, I think, under drives the underlying digital world now is, should we drive everybody to addiction with digital incentives or should we allow free choice to everyone to be able to earn and as per when they want to or live as what they like to? And I think this is a very ongoing conversation, but I'm going to reroute back into the investment side of the conversation. I think given now that we're in the midst of a evolving bear market, or maybe it's a rebound market, depending on where the prices go. What is your advice to crypto or Web3 startups in terms of how they should navigate through these, I would say, tough times? Yeah, it is tough times. I think it's important to not look at prices every day. <laughs> I myself actually really honestly badly open coin market cap, seriously. So I don't know. I think for builders and entrepreneurs, if you're too focused on the price, uh, then I, I, I question your own incentives, right? What are you trying to do? Your own behavior, the, the choice driving your behavior. So I would say focus on the tech and innovation you're building and the use cases, right? Because now there's really less noise. There's really less noise, which means that if you're talking to investors, what three investors are talking to ecosystem people, there is actually more ability to spend time to discuss together, to brainstorm together. For us, to for the core team, for example, at Chain to help you and work with you. Now we're spending less time filtering through projects that are just there to make money. I say this is a great time to be building. It's a great time to be talking and reaching, say, for example, us at BNB Chain. So I would do, I would encourage people to, to reach out to myself, to BNB Chain, if you're interested in coming into our ecosystem. Um, perfect time because I really literally have more time now to spend with projects rather than looking through so many decks and I'm like, wait, why is that pitch just about the token price? Why is this deck just talking about where's your go-to-market strategy? So it's, I mean, even though it's easy to filter out, it's a lot to filter out, right? So there's time still needed that you still want to give enough time to look at a deck that you're not prematurely kind of eliminating something, even though I make decisions very quickly, actually. Mm. Just a penultimate question. I think you and I have both been investing in both the Web 2 and the Web 3 world. One observation I have, and I find this really interesting because now I have a pretty big portfolio of companies within the Web 3 space. I find that the cooperation between Web 3 companies tend to be much faster, better, and coordinated. Like I have a play to earn game. I have a guild management. They can talk to each other and create a partnership. In Web2, I think if we look at the companies that we invested in earlier, that coordination has never been possible. I think even had we had a crypto media company and then the crypto media company is now helping both the companies. So I just wanted to get a sense. Do you find that same differentiation in behavior sitting in when you look at both Web2 and Web3 companies? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I think that's a great point, Bernard. So I think it then goes back again to the mental model where in a Web2 world, when you build a startup, you're kind of on your own. And when you think about partnerships, you usually come later on. You're focused on your product building first, your own user acquisition first. You're thinking like, how can I, how can my product succeed on its own? Because when you talk about, also back then, when you talk about Web2, when you partner too early, you're distracted by leveraging the partner too much. I think that's one key thing, right? You're thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to bootstrap my user acquisition by working with this gigantic partner with a huge user base already. By working with these, this partner, I can then bring on users. 
It's much tougher in the Web2 world because the products don't naturally lend itself again to user transference that easily. I mean, you have to have a very complementary product for the transfers to happen more easily. But even then, it's just more difficult, just a very different, more centralized mental model. And when it comes to the Web3 world, again, you're here. I think there's a few things driving that faster partnerships. One, crypto is global. Everyone's like 24-7, right? I mean, like I'm, I answer emails and chats like at 8am all the way to 2am sometimes, or even later, actually 4am, 5am. I had calls my with some US people like 5am my time just because I happened to be up. So it's just so global. Everyone moves so fast. And also then the ethos of Web3 is that, hey, like it doesn't matter if I'm talking to an anime in my Zoom chat or Google Meets. It's, yeah, we're all like, not say anon, right? But you're so much used to working with like really strangers across time zones. The key question in Web3 when you organize calls is like, what time zone are you? In Web2 is already important, right? But Web3, I think is even more important. So I think you're right. The ethos here is like, how can I work together? Because also in a Web3 world, we are kind of a small community right now. We've looked at a bigger picture. Again, roughly 300,000 people in total in Web3. And a number of builders and investors even smaller than that. So I think everyone feels like we are in this space because we believe in the tech, we believe in innovation, we believe in a paradigm shift that it has that we want to make this succeed together. I think that's very important. When you look at how like Silicon Valley is ethos as well, and I spent some time there myself, uh, I really liked and liked the fact that, you know, everyone's a bit more open where you, again, you see you're driven much more by your product or the te or technology as a whole, like space kind of changing things uh, rather than, oh my gosh, like I let me not share my idea you know, and stuff like that. Because ultimately the key lesson circling back to the question earlier, Bernard, is that good products, good ideas are important, but execution is even more important. So I think that's really important to remember. So my last question then, what does great look like for the BNB chain and the investment fund in the next few years? Ooh, I love the question, Bernard. So what does great look like is that if we are one of the main choices or even default choice for your product to build, for your debt to build, that'd be amazing. Because my wish is that we have such a robust, resilient tech and serving different use cases that you have choice. But at the same time, what was great look like is that ultimately, sure, I'm at the core team of BNB chain, but ultimately we believe in a multi-chain world, not just in the BNB chain multi-chain system, but really the multi-chain world. Like I love Ethereum, my other blockchains as well. I follow my friends, stuff like that, who are building different blockchains. I think it's imperative that as an ecosystem, blockchain, Web3 ecosystem, we're all growing together. I would love to see more bridges with BNB chain and other blockchains as an example, so that you have a much more seamless tech base. And then more importantly, when crypto mass adoption really takes off, Again, the underlying tech, people will not need to know what's the underlying tech. For us, I think that's important. If we can be part of the core infrastructure supporting this new wave, this new Web3 paradigm, I think that would be amazing for us. If we have more and more use cases and more dApps and more Web2 organizations building on BAB chain, that would be really amazing. And on board at 1 billion users in three years. Exactly, 1 billion. I mean, I think it's in three years, but hopefully, right? Yeah, 1 billion users, that's the goal. And then things will follow on. We cross, we'll cross the chasm by then and things will just flow through. Mm. I think we can definitely spend a lot more time talking about this and on and we have many conversations on that. But in closing, I have two questions. Number one, any recommendations which have inspired you recently? 
recommendations inspired me recently. Books, movies. Yeah, I think I really like Ray Dalio's, one of his latest books, The Changing World Order. I, that was to me very, very inspirational because it looks at history, right? And basically you look at the growth and decline of empires, literally countries and empires. And that's been very interesting to me to have that really, really macro perspective on life, on, on how things change. Sure, all change is constant, right? Change is constant rather. But when you look at that, for me, it was it was amazing, very mind-blowing. And I'm inspired also by my own personal journey, I think, in the sense that, I mean, that, that's so self-referential. Sorry, Bernard. But it's that's, more like... <laughs> you're personal. free to plug. No, it's more for me. It's uh, So I so personal story is that just recently I performed again, right? So I've been training and dance for a very long time, since I was five, you know, and I'm not professional by any means, right? But I've done little things over the years. And so just re- really recently I performed again. I did another monologue as well. And for me, it's a bit more personal story here, Bernard, but it's, I think when people are building, I think sometimes you lose yourself in the process. And I think I want people to really realize that you should go to what you're curious about, what you're interested in. You link that to the problems in the space, and then you can make something really great happen. So for me, it's, I mean, this was, it's the art side of me and the creative side of me. I mean, you can be creative anywhere, but this is a very different field, I guess. I think it's very important to also maintain your own interests. I mean, I have many interests. You don't have time for everything, unfortunately. But yeah, if you're driven by your own curiosity and exploration, things might happen that you're surprised at. If I bring back the example of Steve Jobs, I didn't mention it this time, but we all know the story of Steve Jobs. He took calligraphy classes, which inspired him to having a really, or rather he already had a good eye, but I think I guess even better eye at a precision of design as an example. So I think a lot of beautiful things can happen and you connect the dot, dots backwards kind of thing. Follow your own curiosity, follow your own interests and passions, but also be cognizant of what's happening in the space. Look at it thoughtfully, look at it with your own specialized eye and you can build something that would be unique, innovative, and also change the industry. How can my audience find you? <laughs> so I can be found at on most social media at Gwendolyn Regina. So yeah, the full name. And for BNB Chain, you can find us at BNB Chain. And you can definitely find us on any podcast platform. And of course, uh, write to me and give me your feedback. Tweet to us at Analyze Asia, A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. And once again, Gwen, we're going to have this conversation again sometime soon. And many thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard and Analyze Asia. Thank you, everyone. Run it, run it, run it.